The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Hey, don't you just love it when someone does you a favor? Anybody, somebody do your favor this week? Or maybe you did a favor for someone else? You like it when people do you favors? By its very definition, a, a favor is something that's free. It's a gift of time, of energy, of self toward another person. Often it flows out of friendship, uh, care, concern, uh, love for someone else. And if you do a favor for someone, tell me if this isn't true, um, you keep no account of it and you expect nothing back, correct? Otherwise, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a favor. And we do favors for one another simply because we, we see a need and we know that we can meet the need and so we do it just because we can. That's really how a favor works. And as I see the Lord at work, uh, God at work in the Bible, as I read that, as I see God at work uh, in our church, in, in your lives, in the lives of our uh, friends and family uh, here, it seems uh, pretty clear to me that God loves to do favors for people. Does that make sense? That God... In fact, using what we just talked about, God sees a need, God knows he can meet the need, and he meets the need for us just because he can. He just loves us. He loves doing favors for his people. And I think we'd all admit that we have plenty of needs and that we welcome God's help. Amen? I welcome God's help in our lives. We love it when he does us a favor. And in today's text, Jesus begins to preach what is uh, commonly known as the Sermon on the Plain, P-L-A-I-N, Plain. There were no planes in the first century, P-L-A-N-E. Did I get that right? The Sermon on the Plain, as opposed to um, most of us would be more familiar with the Sermon on the, on the Mount. Uh, this is a different sermon, uh, though um, a lot of the content is the same. And we're going to be looking at this Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 over the next uh, five Sundays, in fact. But here we have this morning this intro to the sermon, and we find what are called Beatitudes, four of them. If you look at the similar Sermon on the Mount, you have Beatitudes opening that sermon as well, Matthew 5. Uh, but there's eight Beatitudes, and here we have uh, just four of them. Uh, four Beatitudes, four blessings, or put it this way, four favors that God is doing for us, for all who follow him. And each one of these hitting the mark of some of our deepest needs in our lives. And what you need to know going into studying these Beatitudes, and by the way, there are four woes that we're going to look at at the end of this as well that parallel the Beatitudes but um, what you need to know going in is this. When you follow Jesus, the favor of God is yours, period. When you follow Jesus, the favor of God is yours. You can count on it and be encouraged by it. And I want to tell you that mostly today's message is just about encouraging and building you up and strengthening you uh, before the Lord, no matter what you're facing in life, what good things or bad things are happening to you right now, uh, this passage, these Beatitudes are intended for you who follow Christ 
simply to be encouraged. And so I hope that that's what we go away with here today. Let me read the text and we'll get right into it. Uh, This is Luke chapter 6, verse 20. This is Jesus. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Well, when you follow Jesus, the favor of God is yours. Let's uh, start here with this. Uh, You came, past tense, you came to Jesus humbly. Now, Jesus' sermon, we see in verse 20, is addressed to his followers, to those who are, take a look at verse 20, he lifted his eyes on, who did he lift his eyes on? I mean, his disciples. These are the people who are already following him. They've already expressed some belief in him. Uh, they're identifying themselves with him. They're, they're moving around the country. They've, like Matthew, who we saw just a couple few weeks ago, they've left everything to follow him. So that's who he's addressing. Uh, The majority of people in this room this morning are disciples of Jesus Christ. But there are some here today that you've not yet made that decision. I just need you to know that the first part, the bulk of this sermon, all of the Beatitudes that I'm talking about here, these are only for people who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's important for us. Um, Jesus starts with these four Beatitudes, these pronouncements of blessing and favor on, don't miss this, on his followers. By the word of Jesus, these things are yours. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you, you already have all these things. In the first part of each of the first three Beatitudes, he states what their current situation is, where they need relief. And, and notice these in verse 20. We're going to look at the first three Beatitudes kind of all together here. But you who are, just underline the word poor, you're poor. You who are, verse 21, you who are hungry now. And then a little bit later on in verse 21, uh, because there's two Beatitudes in that verse, you who weep now. He's highlighting in these three, a poor, hungry, weeping, he's highlighting their current circumstances, which for a lot of them was not great. They found themselves in challenging life situations. And there is certainly some sense, those who would kind of be into a more social gospel, and we need to be meeting the needs of the hungry and and the the needs of the poor, and, and we need to be going after and ministering to those who are mourning, and all of that is true, and we can find lots of support for that in the scriptures. But let me say, that is not the primary emphasis of what Jesus is saying here in the Beatitudes. 
And it is true the people he was talking to were facing a number of these, um, uh, these crises in their lives. And then there is a sense in which their poverty and their hunger uh, flowed out of uh, the oppression that they were facing as Jews living under foreign domination. Israel at the time was under Roman occupation and they were ruthless in their treatment of the Jews and the weight and burden that they put on them was heavy. And so there was poverty and there was hunger and there was this feeling of oppression and there was this whole national sense among all the Jewish people of mourning and grieving that they were not what God intended them to be. And so... There's something to the immediate situation, the physical poverty, hunger, and grief. There is something to that universal struggle and lament among the Jewish people. But, but listen, Jesus might be using that as a bit of the hook, but that's not his primary emphasis. It's, listen, never his primary emphasis. I mean, Jesus' major concern always in the scripture is about the spiritual uh, challenges they were facing about the spiritual plight that these people were suffering and while he often but listen not always alleviated physical suffering sometimes he went into towns and healed everyone sometimes he went into towns and healed some he didn't always heal everyone Because he was far more interested in them hearing the message of the kingdom of God so that they would find relief from their sin. That they would be relieved of the burden of the condemnation of their sin. This is Jesus' concern. I mean, he came to this earth. He proclaimed a message. He, he, he identified fully with us as human beings. He, he allowed himself to be unjustly condemned. He took our sin upon himself on the cross. He shed his blood for us so that we might not all of a sudden have full bellies and be lifted out of poverty. And all of a sudden, everything's great in this life. I mean, Jesus had far more lofty goals, don't you think? That his concern was not about how hard it is down here. His concern was about the severance of a relationship, the severed relationship between us and our God. His concern was that we were alienated from our creator. And so when he talks here, poor, hungry, weeping. See, this is about the effects of sin in our lives. We are impoverished because of our lack of relationship with God. We are hungering for something, and many of us can't figure it out. Uh, why, why that hunger is there? It's a longing for God that we don't have a relationship with. We are grieving because we go from thing to thing, searching out, trying to find meaning to life, trying to find our identity, trying to understand what our purpose here, trying to figure out what this is all about. We have this universal plight amongst us, and it's because we are not in relationship with our God. That's what Jesus is driving at. This is the law for anyone living on this earth, feeling the effects of sin. And Jesus is making the point here that we have been brought low. You see, if we're the disciples of Christ, we already get all of this. 
I mean, what I just said might be news to some of you, but listen, for, for those of us in this room who already know Jesus Christ, none of this is a surprise. We were brought low. We were desperate to be fed and hungering after something we didn't have. We were grieving mostly over our own sin and our own plight and situation. You see, when Jesus says this about us who are his followers, it's an acknowledgement of our starting point. The starting point that every person has to begin at. It's a declaration that we don't have it in us to change anything concerning our own uh, circumstances. That we have actually come to the end of ourselves before we could ever come to Jesus. That we have no other recourse. We have no other source of strength. God is our only hope to have any of this satisfied. Do you believe that? He's our only hope. And if you're a true believer... And you came to Jesus that way. You came to Jesus humbly. You came out of humble circumstances because there's no other way to come to him. And believer, I would just say this, that you must stay. We must all stay in that place of humility by continually acknowledging our need, by continually talking to God about our dependence on him, by admitting that we still grapple with sin, that every day is still a hard slog in following Jesus. That we need forgiveness. It's interesting to me that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, though we know that when Jesus gave his life, all of our sins completely erased from our record. Yet God would have us pray, Jesus taught us, he would have us pray daily for the forgiveness of our sins. Because he knows the struggle we continue to face. And by expressing gratitude, we remain in a place of humility Gratitude to God for all the good things that we have. That could be a long list, don't you think? Thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this. I mean, that, that list really could not be exhausted. You see, because we're in that place then, that place of humility, we came to Jesus humbly, knowing our circumstances. Because we're in that place, notice also that you receive from Jesus generously. In each of the three Beatitudes that we looked at, we find a generous blessing that comes from Jesus. These are the favors that he actually does for us. Notice again, verse 20, yours is the, what does he offer us? The kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom of God, verse 20. Verse 21, you shall be, you hunger? You, you, you shall be satisfied. You're not going to hunger anymore. You who are weeping and mourning, verse 21, what does it say? You shall, you laugh. In other words, in these three favors that God is doing for us, what he's really saying is that you are a son or daughter of the king of kings. And you are an heir of everything that he has, all the wealth and riches of the entire universe. Everything belongs to the Lord and, and it's yours. 
because you're a son or daughter of the king. You have it all, his presence, accessibility to the king. You, you, have, you have his power at your di- disposal. His wisdom, so much flowing out of that. You will lack for nothing. You will never hunger. You will never thirst. You will have no wants whatsoever. And unending joy is yours. The kind of joy that we have is more often than not, uh, not actually joy, but just happiness. And um, how many people, you, you were happy this week for a few minutes? How many of us here? You, I was happy for a few minutes. But you see, that's the thing with happiness, comes and goes. It's here and then it's gone. It's largely based on circumstances. I was happy because I was with someone I love. I was happy because I got a bonus at work. I was happy because I watched a, a funny show on television. Or I, I, just, I was happy for a few minutes. But then something else comes crashing in and we're not happy anymore. But this is, this is unending, never interrupted joy. You shall laugh. It's not even that, that, it's not even that often joy is talked about, you know, I have a deep-seated joy in my heart. Yeah, well, tell your face, right? Your face doesn't know that you're joyful inside, right? That this isn't that. This is for sure it starts inside because it's a gift from God, but it bubbles out and it's obvious because there is this physical manifestation we call laughter that accompanies this joy that comes from Christ. And it it just never ends. Now, this is the favor. These are the favors that God is doing for us. We receive from Jesus generously. And you might be sitting here today saying, well... I Todd, what you're saying to me is that if I'm a follower of Christ, uh, this is my starting point and I get that. And now you're saying I have all these promises. Um, the deal is I'm kind of still waiting for those things. Are you still waiting for them? Because you're, you're going, you know, it isn't joy all the time. And sometimes I do still have some spiritual longings, hunger inside of me. It isn't all perfect. I don't feel like I have all of this coming from God right now. I I don't feel like I have his power all the time. I don't feel like I'm always an inheritor of the promises. I don't always have it in in view that I belong to his kingdom. So what's the deal? Did, Did Jesus give me these things or not? Are these mine or not? Well, with the promises of God, because we're still here on planet Earth, um, a place tainted by sin. With the promises of God, it's always this. Write down this little phrase, or you could probably memorize it. Um, This is so helpful in understanding so much of what the Bible teaches us about the promises of God in eternity. Now, here's the phrase, now, but not yet. Now, but not yet. I mean, I remember learning that phrase in seminary so many years ago, and that just opening up an understanding of of what I believe from the word of God concerning the promises of God. That these promises are now, they are true. I own them. God gave them to me. I hang on to them. And I get glimpses of those promises being fulfilled now. But I understand 
that the final fulfillment of all of these things is not yet complete. And so it is not yet. It is now I have them and get, get tastes of them, uh, but not yet. I'm waiting for something far more awesome to come in the fulfillment of these things. And the reality is that in these Beatitudes and in the scripture as a whole, there is, and you can write this down, zero promise, zero promise of your current life situation changing. Zero. God doesn't promise us that. I mean, Jesus altered the physical life situation of many people. The Apostle Paul, the same. There were certain places he went, he did healings, and he changed people's current life situation. But it didn't always happen. There's no all-encompassing promise of that happening for any of us on this side of eternity. I love what Tim Keller said about this. It just in reflecting on Paul in the, in the letters. He says, it's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. None. He doesn't pray for anyone that their trial would end. He doesn't pray for anyone that they would be released from prison. He doesn't pray for anyone that their path would be made easier. But these are the prayers that we pray. True or false. God, help me out of this. Help my friend. Help them get over their illness. Help them recover from their trauma. Change their circumstance. Bring them a better job. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for these things. But listen, our hope is not in any of those things. Our hope is not in the altered circumstances that we often look to because we have this I want it now mentality. Jesus in the Gospels, though he did many miracles, continually downplayed the miracles in favor of the message. For Jesus, the message was everything. What I do know is this, that though none of this is perfected, that's the not yet part. I have a real sense of some things that are so important to me. I know who I am. And so few people in this world know who they are. I know who I belong to. And so few people have that sense of understanding of who they belong to. I know what family I'm a part of. I I know that I'm loved. And so many people in the world looking for love in all the wrong places. But I know I'm loved. And it's not dependent on any human love by the way I know I'm part of the kingdom of God I know that shapes everything about my life I know it defines my purpose I know exactly why I'm on planet earth I'm not struggling to figure that out I'm not wandering around wondering what my purpose in life is I know what it is I'm here no matter what circumstance I face, I'm here to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Currently, 
I do that as a husband to Cheryl, as a father to Joel, Emily, and Luke. I do it as uh, the pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie. Currently, that's my circumstance. I'm a reasonably healthy man, notwithstanding today. Um, I'm, I'm a, but that's my current circumstance. And in this circumstance, what God has currently put in my I'm here to glorify God. Whatever circumstance you're in today, your purpose in life is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And... and that's a gift from Jesus. That's generous from him for me to be able to live my life with that kind of confidence. So few people have that. I'm satisfied with what he gives me. I'm growing in that. I'm satisfied with what he gives me. I wrote it down there so that I would work on that. I'm thankful for it all, for sure, what I do have. I'm not looking for wealth or status. I'm content and satisfied with what he provides for me. And I do laugh. I have joy in my life. Sometimes my spirit needs to tell my face, for sure. But it's there. And I laugh often. And I love life. I love all that God has given to me so generously. Even in the midst of loss of trials and pain, I know that a great day is coming. A great day is coming for all of us. And in the words of Paul, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How awesome is that verse? You receive from Jesus generously. When you follow Jesus, the favor of God is yours. You came to him humbly. You receive from him generously. And then look at this. You stand for Jesus courageously. This is in the form of a strong statement about his followers Firmly standing in their faith without wavering. If you love him and follow him, you will stand for him. I have such great confidence in that statement. And the fourth beatitude here, it's different from the other three. That's why we're looking at it separately. Because first of all, it's longer. So it kind of breaks the pattern. But, but, but secondly... It is a circumstance brought upon us precisely because we have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. This, this is put on us after we make that decision. It cites a life situation that comes as a direct result of following him. Take a look at it, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. A lot of homes have banished that word. But you can't say you hate anybody. It's a strong word. Agreed? A blessed are you when people hate you. Do you think you have people that hate you? I'm not sure I had anybody hate me until I became a pastor. But when you become a pastor, a lot of people hate you. I don't think that necessarily needs to just be true of pastors. 
He's talking to all followers here. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Notice, on account of the Son of Man, a reference to Jesus. Because of Jesus, these things are all true of you. These awful things could, and could I say it this way, should, should result. If you love and follow Jesus as you ought to, with all-out abandon and passion, these should be true of you. And yet, the first word, blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when people hate you. Does, it, does anyone else read that and just go, there's some dissonance there. That doesn't seem to compute. It, it doesn't make sense. Blessed are you when people hate you. See, no matter what people say about you or do to you, you will, as a follower of Christ, embody what the verse is saying here. You will be courageous. You will be courageous. I'm not saying to you, you should be courageous. You need to be courageous. You need to obey God in being courageous. I'm telling you, you are courageous. Blessed are you when people hate you. This will be in you. And it can be such a struggle, I get it. And so discouraging to persevere with Jesus Christ in our walk with him. To have an enduring faith when the stakes are raised, when the heat is on. Jesus knows this and that's why this encouragement is coming to us. Again, look at those words. Hate exclude, revile, spurn your name as evil. Who would want that? And the reality is not many of us here really experience the full weight and impact of that kind of vitriolic attitude toward us. Though like many, Like many, I believe the day is coming rapidly for those of us in North America where we will be living out this verse in very real and tangible ways because our society, we would agree, I think is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. So you're going to get a chance to show just how courageous you are. And moms and dads, a word for you. You have to train your children to stand for Jesus no matter what. Train your children to stand for Jesus no matter what. And they need to see that in you. Because the greatest example of courage in the face of this kind of persecution is going to be seen in their moms and dads. This week, as I thought about all of this, we saw in a full measure what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, perhaps on social media you saw this, but the martyrdom of 21 uh, Coptic Christians uh, from Egypt. Uh, how many people saw this at some point in this week? Um, honestly, this filled my uh, news feed on Facebook and uh, Twitter so much, I, I really can't believe that some of you didn't see this. Uh, these were Egyptian Coptic believers. One of the um, most ancient churches uh, tradition, historical tradition is that the apostle 
uh, Mark um, uh, went down uh, into Egypt and preached, and uh, that was the roots of the Coptic church. Uh, Coptic is just uh, really the Greek word for Egyptian. And um, a, a number of Coptic Christians, a number of Egyptians have begun to make their way to Libya, which is um, largely lawless these days. Uh, but they're looking for work and uh, working away from their families and sending money back. And so these 21 were working in Libya and they were kidnapped by a faction of ISIS. These uh, stills that you're seeing come from a video that was posted of the men's beheading. I'm reading some things now where experts seem to agree that this video was manipulated or edited in some way for presentation purposes, but that uh, no one doubts that the actual executions did take place, probably at a different time and a different location. The video is titled by ISIS because they've got a strong propaganda machine going now. The, the video is titled, The People of the Cross. Followers of the hostile Egyptian church. People of the cross. They were beheaded because they are people of the cross. Believers in many parts of the world under different regimes are facing this kind of violent hatred a couple of weeks ago, Cheryl and I were in Phoenix uh, for a senior pastor and wife retreat. And uh, there were two couples there who come from different parts of the world. And I won't tell you what countries they're from for their own safety and the safety of their churches. But both of those uh, pastoral couples and their churches have faced uh, threats uh, from people in their region, in their city. Um, one a couple threatened directly with murder. Uh, we will kill you. And uh, the other uh, couple under constant threat of stoning. For one reason only. They're people of the cross. They love Christ. They went to their city to plant a church. They're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people's lives are being changed. And more people are becoming people of the cross. And, and the power brokers in those areas don't like it. And so under the threat of death, today, as we gather for worship, these two pastors will stand where I stand in complete safety and freedom in my country and, and not know Hebrews 11, 37, 38, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. I'm humbled. I'm broken in the face of men who would stand in pulpits today of people who would gather in churches today under the threat of being stoned simply for being people of the cross. 
they would pronounce woe on us. But God says, and this is all that matters. God says we're blessed when that happens. You might be like me and wonder, could I stand? Could I wear the orange jumpsuit and kneel down and let them slit my throat for being a person of the cross? Could I go to my church knowing that people in and around that church, in the homes, that the, that the political leaders of that city hate me? And that my life is under threat of death. But God says I'm blessed. See, that's the thing I keep coming back to. He says when, I, when that happens, I'm blessed. And I have to hang on to that. These pastors have to hang on to it. These 21 whose lives were taken, whose throats were slit who left their families behind in Egypt, families who needed their income. They had to look beyond the circumstances. They had to look beyond the now. And they had to know that God said they're blessed. Because there's nothing else. If you're thinking, I'm not sure I could endure that. God says you're blessed. And he will give you grace. Exactly what you need. Exactly when you need it. Not a moment before. Never a delay. God will give you what you need. Just when you need it. And if you genuinely believe and stand courageously for Jesus Christ in all circumstances, against all hatred, you will, let me say this as confidently as I can, you will persevere to the end. And when you get that, when you understand all of this, you rejoice with Jesus eternally. You see, it results in joyful worship of Jesus Christ. The, the rejoicing, the worship of Christ starts now. And in fact, it never stops. It seems counterintuitive to me, again, if not impossible. This phrase is, you were going to see in verse 23, but it says that we're to leap for joy when facing the kinds of things that we just talked about. I mean, again, this isn't just an internal joy that, that I'm internally content with my situation. This, this is something that's breaking out. It's, it's laughter. It's leaping for joy. You see, our joy is rooted in something other than immediate gratification and something other than personal security. But we're so intent on personal security. God, keep us safe. We're going on a trip, God. Give us journey mercies. I don't even know what journey mercies are. It's a crazy phrase. We use it all the time. Keep us safe. Keep us safe. Is that the prayer? 
Or is it God used me along the way and whatever we face, we'll take it with joy and we'll serve you and our lives will be glorifying to you. Is that, is that a better prayer? Is that a more biblical prayer? I think so. Because our joy is rooted in something other than immediate gratification or personal security. Our joy results from the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Just to give you a definition of joy, this is from Pastor James McDonald. I've heard others say something very similar. Joy is supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. That's joy. It's supernatural It's delight. I'm just so excited about all of this. I'm happy about it all. And when we have that, the favor of God, it is a favor from God that he's doing for us so that we can, verse 23, notice, rejoice in that day. What day? The day of persecution, the day that people hate me, the day that people are maligning me and the day that people are stoning me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great on earth. Did I read that right? Where's our joy? Where is it? Our reward is great in heaven. It's, it's future. It's beyond this life. And then he says this, just throws us in. For so their fathers, that's the, the people who hate you, their fathers did to the prophets. He's just saying to them, you're in good company here, by the way. Lots of people have suffered this. Lots of people have been hated for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, this is true when you're standing at the end on the last day, when you're there as a follower, you're before the Lord and you're getting ready to enter into the joy of your salvation. And you've demonstrated that you have had And this is so important, an enduring faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to be there because you kept your eyes on what is to come and not what is now. And we get tripping over our own feet and stumbling along and not feeling great about our walk with Christ and and not feeling great about who we are and wondering if we're loved. We're in that place because we're looking at all the stuff around us rather than looking ahead to what God has for us in eternity. We have to set our heart and affections on eternal things. The things that God has in store for us. The the not yet part of the now, but not yet. And every time we worship here, we're in essence doing that. We're doing it in the face of people out there who think we're whack jobs. We're nuts for doing this. Singing as we do. Listening to the Bible as we do. Seeking to live it out as we do. But we know better. We know why we're here because this is a taste. It's a taste, just a, just a glimpse of something awesome. Something eternal and nothing this world could offer you could be any better than this. Amen. When you follow Jesus, the favor of God is yours. I hope you believe it and I hope you're encouraged by it, but we can't close this off until we see that when you don't follow Jesus, never-ending want, hunger, and grief are yours. And, and for a moment now, I need to turn my attention away from those of you who are uh, followers of Christ to those in the room who might not be yet. 
Like you're not in a great place. Jesus pronounces some, some woes here. I mean, everything he said so far was for the disciples, but, but then he turns to address because whenever he taught, it seemed, there were the, the inner 12 that he had selected to be his apostles, and then there was the broader group of disciples, people who were following him, but there were always crowds, and there were always those religious leaders who opposed him. And he turns to the crowd at this point, and he turns, in, in, he turns to the religious leaders as well, Knowing that in their mind, uh, it's all about instant gratification. What are you going to do for me now? They wanted to be happy now. They wanted to live for today. Their motto was carpe diem. You drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But that kind of thinking just leads to ultimate and eternal pain, suffering, and judgment. It leads to destruction and death. Every one of these woes corresponds to one of the beatitudes that he had just spoken. Look at, look at them with me. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But, but woe to you, verse 24, woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. This is it. The high life you're living right now, the fancy cars, the nice home, the swimming pools, the trip south. The bank account that lets you do whatever you want to do, when you want to do it, the finest clothes, all of that, enjoy it. Enjoy it to the full. That's your consolation. That's all you got coming. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied, he said to us as believers. But then he said, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. You eat in the fanciest restaurants. You love rich food. You have as much as you need and want. Enjoy that full belly. Because there's a time coming when it'll never be full. And you will hunger for all of eternity. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Blessed are you when people hate you. But woe to you when all people speak well of you. You ever missed your popularity? You have life by the horns. Everybody loves you. Woe to you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Those are hard words from Jesus for those who want it all now, who don't want to surrender their life to Jesus. Jesus unleashes a stunning series of condemnations on those who would reject his way. And some of you, you've come here for weeks, months, maybe off and on for years. And you have left here many times rejecting Jesus and his message, not willing to pay the price of following him. Some of you here, many of you will leave today's worship blessed and encouraged, but many of you will decide to live independently of Jesus. Again, you'll make that decision. And you're thinking it's good for me right now. 
I don't have any particular needs. I feel like I am living a pretty good life. There aren't really any stresses in my life, nothing I can't manage on my own. I really don't feel like I need Jesus. My life seems to be pretty good without him. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it for a minute. I don't doubt those of you who are rich, who are full now, who laugh now, and who have all the friends. But woe to you. Because the day is coming when it's going to be all taken away. And you won't be laughing then. But you can escape the woe. And you can follow Jesus Christ. And you can receive the same encouragements and blessings that his followers have received here this morning. You can hear the words from Jesus to you. Blessed are you. Let's pray. God, I do pray that this message delivered in frailty I will have hit the mark for every person in this room I by faith believe God that your spirit could speak to every person I pray that every believer here will have been encouraged and built up knowing that they're blessed knowing that you are a God who delights to do favors for his children and I pray that we would leave from here with great confidence in that. Knowing that you'll give us grace for each moment. Knowing the promises of God are sure. They are now, but not yet. And so God, help us to keep our eyes on eternity. And God, I pray for those in this room who are currently under the curse of these woes who are living life for themselves. I pray that today, in this very moment, before they breathe another breath, they will call out to you. They will come in humility as we all had to come. They will find life and blessing in you. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer and for the work you're doing in this room right now. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.